I am Amanda Schoenblodgett, Miss Panda, and this is Playful Chinese. Once you kind of start to see a pattern, it would everything started to make sense. And I think also being in the country where you're learning the language, you have so many opportunities to hear it and so many opportunities to speak it. Let's learn Mandarin Chinese with Miss Panda audio lesson album guides parents and young children to activate the joy of learning Mandarin Chinese. It is now streaming on Amazon, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and all streaming platforms. Learn more about Let's Learn Mandarin Chinese with Miss Panda audio lesson album at misspandachinese.com. We have Kathy Hurst with us today, and Kathy was trained in elementary education. She is an ESL teacher and also a Spanish teacher. Kathy has five third culture kids from Asia to the Middle East, from the Middle East to the U.S. Kathy embraces her 14 years of experience of being an expat and an expat parent. So today we're very happy to have Kathy with us. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. Well, we're excited. We know you have lived in China and many other places. But first, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite Chinese dish or snack? Oh, gosh. We tried so many awesome things when we lived in China. It was really a good way to immerse ourselves in the culture. Um, so I had this beautiful woman that would come and help me every day. With She would, on her way to come see me in the morning, she would ride her bicycle and she would stop at this little vendor on the side of the road. And she would buy these little egg omelets that were stuffed with all sorts of delicious things. And so da bing jidan, is that how you say that? Um, that was one of our favorite little snacks that we would have as kind of like a breakfast, but really you could have it any time of day because it was whenever you got them um, up on the side of the road. So that was one of my favorite snacks, I think. So it's like an egg omelet. Da bing jidan. That sounds exactly. great. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> It was definitely a family snack that we all loved. Right. I think the street food is probably the best in many countries. The other thing I wanted to mention was in China, they would have the, um, are they called xiaopingguo? The, the little apple, crab apples that were on a stick that were dipped in like a glazed sugar. And then they would um, harden. And a lot of times we could have them in the wintertime when the ponds and the lakes froze we could go and ice skate there. And when you were ice skating on it, there would be little vendors that would have these little little crab apples dipped in that, in that um, glazed sugar, the melted glazed sugar. And it was, uh, it was an interesting thing because it was so cold that when you'd bite into it, you, know, you could really feel the sugar just crack right off of the of the little crab apple, but... Tanghulu, it's like a sugar-coated uh, kind of fruit. There's... A fruit inside, and then it's coated with sugar, and it's crunchy because it's such a thin layer of sugar outside of the fruit. 
Exactly. And it was even more crunchy in the very, very cold winter in, in China. <laughs> so well, that was- it's, it sounds, it's a lot of uh, fun, the memory of China. So can you let us know where were you when you lived in China? So we were in um, Tianjin, which is, um, I think it's about an hour and a half, depending on traffic, southeast of Beijing. But we lived in Tianjin which was a very industrial city and there weren't a lot of expats. And when you did find other expats, you kind of clung to each other because it was not at all like Beijing. When, when I went to Beijing because I was pregnant and I would go up for my doctor's visits every month, Beijing felt like paradise because in Beijing, everybody could speak English or there you would see other familiar expat faces. I mean, and when I say that, I mean people that could speak English to you. So when you go to a foreign country, and I did not know Chinese before I got there, it was very um, comforting to know that you could communicate to someone in your native tongue and be understood. But I have a, a big sense of adventure. And I always thought, you know, if my husband has to work overseas, I'd rather move with him and live there than have him traveling so much. And there's so much to be learned from other cultures. You know, if you have a mindset of, I'm going to move to this country and it's, you know, two years, I can handle, anybody can handle any place pretty much for two years. And that's kind of what we did. Right. And you actually, we talk about China. Obviously, you know, we talk about you actually have 14 years experience of living overseas. So in addition to China, what other countries have, have you lived in? Well, we were in Japan for um, just shy of a year. And then we moved to Thailand and we were there for two years. And that's where we had our first son. But we were only home for a year before we got sent back out when we were in China. And so that was um, a little bit less than two years. And then it was to the Middle East and we went to Bahrain. So we enjoyed the Middle East so much because the local people are so kind and open to um, families that we really enjoyed living there and did not find it difficult. You did not have to speak Arabic to live in Bahrain. Um, Bahrain is one of the more Western countries in the Middle East. And we just found the Muslim people to be quite lovely. Very shortly after my fourth one was born, we had gotten a job to come back to the U.S. We had felt like it was time to maybe get closer to family. You know, as your parents age, you often want to be closer. We just felt a very strong need to get back to the U.S. Um, Interestingly, also, because our children didn't really know who they were. They didn't know that they like, they say that it's typical that you have a child, um, you know, you have a child that is a third culture kid when someone says, where are you from? And they have a paragraph long answer to that question because they lived, right? they have to think about it because they've lived in so many countries that have influenced them. And if they haven't lived in their home country or their passport country, they often don't know what it means to be an American. And that was the case with my oldest son. You know, he would say, well, I'm American, but you know, he, he had never really lived there. Uh, I mean, except for one year when he was just a toddler and he doesn't really remember that. But, um, but we got back to the U.S. and then had uh, a surprise baby that was uh, just 
the joy of our life. And, um, and so she's never lived overseas, but she, um, my in-laws are from, uh, they live in Guatemala. And so, um, that, you know, she's exposed to going down there. In fact, she was not even one when I took some girls down. I took my girls and, and some other girls down to Guatemala to do a Spanish um, immersion for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that was really fun. So you actually have a bi- bilingual and bicultural family. And because your husband's family, they, they speak Spanish in Guatemala. And then you were just mentioned a very interesting story about um, how you took your girls to uh, Guatemala and to do a Spanish uh, immersion. Let's go back to you when you first went to China, um, because I think, is it something that you were very surprised when you went to China because you mentioned you didn't know Chinese and how did you kind of put yourself in a total new place without knowing the culture and how did you gradually learn Chinese? You know, I didn't really get hooked into classes at all in the beginning and it was probably just because I was trying to find a place to live. I had friends who were taking classes and I was really impressed and I I wanted to jump in, but they had already started. So they were way ahead of me. And one of my neighbors um, was taking a class and she started having him come to tutor her. And so I said, well, you know what? Maybe I can ask him if he'll come tutor me. And so I did that. And I started that towards the end of my pregnancy. And um, it was it was exciting. I love languages, so it it's not super hard for me. Once you kind of start to see a pattern, it would, everything started to make sense. And I think also being in the country where you're learning the language, you have so many opportunities to hear it and so many opportunities to speak it. So whereas I might've learned Spanish in school in the U.S., I wouldn't speak it outside of the classroom. So the great thing about learning the language while you're living in the country is that you have so many people right there who can be teachers to you because you can hear it and you can also use it and you can practice it. Um, Funnily enough, it wasn't until after I had the baby that all of my brain stuff started sparking and I just felt like everything was clicking and I really understood it and I started to understand the tones and I, I, I knew how to say things and I said something to my neighbor one day and she said, oh my gosh, what's going on with you? Like, how is all this working? And I said, I don't know. It must be hormones. (laughs) Yeah, it must be the mommy power. What's the baby? That is so interesting. Well, I love how you put yourself in in the immersion environment. I know it's already an an immersion environment because you were living in China, you were living in Tianjin, um, and you had wonderful neighbors and you had a tutor. But but I think you you made a jump, the leap to put yourself and to understand the the new language, Mandarin Chinese. But another thing you mentioned, I think it's very interesting. You said, you know, you have learned Spanish at school, um, but you never really use it outside of the the school. So, um, so what was the language you grew up with? So I grew up with completely English. My, um, siblings, once they got older, my older siblings, they were able to take, uh, Spanish in school. 
But the key for me learning a second language was my father, um, his job with the State Department. He moved us to Mexico City. And basically, it was a kind of sink or swim sort of thing. My mom and my dad already spoke it. And my siblings, my older siblings had probably taken some classes. Um, I don't know how much they were able to apply that. But living in Mexico City from ninth to 12th grade, basically all of high school, um, is how I learned it. And, you know, it's been a process. I mean, I still use my Spanish every single day. And, um, and I ask my husband questions all the time, like, how do you say this? Or how do you say that? Or, you know, every country has their own way of, um, a col- of using colloquialisms and, and certain words might not mean the same thing in different countries. But going to Mexico and wanting to be able to understand how to say, I want that bag of chips when you're trying to buy lunch at school was a really good reason to, to learn it and to practice it. But also, I, I just know that I love languages. And so learning them has always been something I just, it's not that hard for me, but it's also something I enjoy. I also had my son in China. He was, um, after the baby came, I realized I need some sort of an outlet for my three-year-old. So I put him in a Chinese um, bilingual kindergarten. And it was actually, I would say, less English and a lot more Chinese, which was perfect for me because I wanted him to learn Chinese. So he would come home and speak in Chinese. And it was really beautiful because they would talk to each other and, and she would teach him things. And she was, um, I think she just loved that she could communicate with him and she could communicate with me too. But there are some things that transcend, transcend um, language barriers. And that's just, the, that's the human part of us, right? Like, Right. And I think it's it's a connection. I think language is a way to to have the connection from one person to another person. And then also it's a, the telling of stories. I think it's a, such a beautiful story because from your son and you actually send him to a bilingual Chinese English bilingual kindergarten and he was able to absorb everything and then bring it home to share with you, share with the person who you you had at home and to, to be able to communicate. That is, a, that is something always very exciting for parents to see when you send your child to a uh, an environment with the different languages and they are able to absorb and then, then to produce later on when they are comfortable with that. So for him, that's a pretty exciting because he's a, he was a little boy at the time. For you, do you have any Chinese expressions that you used so much when you were in China? So Weishima was one of my, <laughs> my favorite phrases because I always had to ask people, why did I do that? Because a lot of things that we do, we do because of habit or because someone told us that's how it has to be done. So I love to ask why about everything. So that's your, the, the most used expression when you were in China. Why? One thing I have learned from living overseas is that people, most people, not all cultures, of course, but people are very happy to converse with you when you're trying to speak their language. So, you know, some people might not be so kind if you're trying to speak something and they'll tell you everything you do wrong. But a lot of people, for example, one time I was in um, one of the little taxis that would take us back and forth 
to do, you know, errands. And I said something to him in the limited Chinese I had at the time. I said something, we had seen a caravan of people going and they were in very nice cars like Mercedes and things like that. And I said to him, is that, is that a big man or like a big person? And because I didn't know how to say important in Chinese, he knew exactly what I meant. And he said, wow, your Chinese is great. <laughs> and I laughed because I thought, well, I got my point across and that's really what language is all about, right? Communicating. And so I got that point across, but it did feel good that someone had complimented me, even though I knew my Chinese wasn't great, but it worked. And it was, it was very satisfying and fulfilling to be able to communicate to someone in a, in a language other than my own. Right. It's also a language which is considered one of the most difficult languages in the world. Is which it actually really? is not. <laughs> I, you know, I, I find once I started to dissect the language, I found Chinese incredibly, it made so much sense. You know, learning about, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a long time, but, you know, learning that the television is a, an electric watch and the radio is an electric, you know, you hear something that's electric. It all makes sense. It's electric something, electric something, you know? And I'm like, wow, you know that, I mean, obviously in English, we've got Latin bases and, and those have, you know, root words and all that. But if you don't know those things, then it's like you're not let in on a little secret, you know? Absolutely. I think it's a miss when we hear people say that Chinese is one of the most difficult languages in the world. And I always say that, really? Who told you that? Have you really learned that? I think you lived in China for almost two years and you jumped in and immersed yourself in the Chinese culture and learning the language. Like you said, like um, a computer is an electricity brain. So electrical brain. And so basically, you know one word, electricity, and then you can actually add on different things and then it will give you different, um, different content and different phrases. And that's why it is interesting. Right. I mean, it was like, it was like getting a whole new vocabulary because once I learned electric or electricity or whatever the root was, and I just added a few other things, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got this. <laughs> you know, it was very exciting. That is really true. Um, I, I think that's the, something uh, when you are outside of the language, seeing inside, if you don't walk in, you don't really know. But when you walk in, it's a, a palace full of Fun. So I think that's the joy of learning a language. And because the joy of a language, of course, is a part of the culture. So you kind of open doors to yourself and to enter a place that you can connect your culture with the local culture or with a different world culture. So that is definitely something very fascinating. And I think Chinese is, a lot of times I tell my students, Chinese characters are like Lego pieces. The more pieces you collect and you can build different things and that that's the beauty of learning a different language and especially for Chinese I think if you have a different perspective I think children will take it in a very different direction and they will see it differently yes so much so much of what our children learn about their environment is influenced by our attitude so you know, having a good attitude about living in foreign countries really affects how well your your family will settle into their experience. Um, at least that has been my experience. And I've always tried to be very positive um, 
you know, and, and it really, it really determines whether or not they're going to be pessimistic about the situation or optimistic about the situation. Yeah. So actually, um, you were in China a while back. So what was it like to be an expat in China at that time, at that time when you moved there? It was, it was very difficult. I'm not going to lie. I had, I cried. It was difficult. Um, you know, when you can't say things to people in a, a language that someone else can understand, it's frustrating. And so, um, that's pretty much when I decided that I was going to learn the language. Um, and, you know, just try to understand the people because I think that if you understand the people, then you can be happier. And really the key to settling in and being happy in a country is getting to know the culture. Right. And then you, you also mentioned a totally different culture, a totally different language. Did you have any culture shock or something really challenged you when you first moved to China? I definitely experienced culture shock. And, um, and you know, like you mentioned before, pregnancy and just having a, a two-year-old boy that you're trying to entertain and living in a hotel for as long as we lived until this place was available. And I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure how long we lived in the hotel, but it might've been, I remember it was in the fall when we finally moved into our place. And it's just really hard to have, you know, young boys who are full of energy in a hotel room and um, running around trying to, you know, entertain him and, and get some of that energy out and not really knowing like, okay, I, I can walk this far, but I don't really know where I am. So I don't want to get lost. And I can't necessarily, <laughs> you know, I think I had a, a little piece of paper that had a few expressions on it. So in case I got lost, I think someone, I don't remember who, but I think someone wrote like the name of my hotel in Chinese characters. So in case I ever got lost, I could just show someone like, this is where I want to go. Can you take me? <laughs> take me back or whatever. You know what I mean? So yes, I definitely went through culture shock and, um, and, and a lot of it was just, you know, being up in the air and living out of a suitcase. It was as you would anywhere you would go. So yeah, that, that is something I would like to um, check in with you to see like from China and Chinese culture and Chinese language. And later on, you moved to a Bahrain, a Middle Eastern country. And how do you, you and you have your um, husband's family from Guatemala. So how do you maintain the multicultural aspect and also the multilingual kind of uh, uh, family situation as you move from one country to another? Right. So one thing that I kind of regret not having done a better job of is speaking Spanish to my children from a young age. So not, uh, not all of my children speak Spanish fluently. The older ones have all taken it in school and they are exposed to Spanish when we take them down to see um, my husband's side of the family in Guatemala. And when we lived overseas, we always made a point of coming to visit both my family and his family. Because often when you are an expat, you have a, a long chunk of vacation. 
So we had enough time to see both families for two weeks at a time each, most of the time. Or I would bring the kids ahead of time and my husband would meet us. But to, in my defense with the Spanish thing, I often felt like when we were living in a country and my child was learning another language other than English, and remember that they're also young enough that they're still learning English too. So I felt like I didn't want to confuse them. And I know some um, people have done many languages and I think that's beautiful, but I think I was a little overwhelmed. So I allowed my child to learn English in the home and Chinese, for example, outside when we lived in China. When we went to Bahrain, my children were being educated in a British school. So obviously they were learning everything in English but they were surrounded by Arabic-speaking people around them. So while they didn't learn Arabic in school, I did a similar thing with my daughter who was born there, where I ended up putting her in a bilingual kindergarten there as well. And she picked up Arabic. She doesn't remember any of it. She was quite young when we left there. She was four when we came back to the U.S. But someone asked um, who... Whose mother is that? Is she is she Bahraini? Because my daughter had a perfect accent. And that is because she was immersed in the culture. And so even though we were speaking English at home, she was going to a kinder where she could she could speak with other, you know, locals who would speak in English and Arabic. So it was really beautiful. And she'd have Arabic lessons. So I guess to your question about um how did we deal with the the multiculturalism in our family. When we lived overseas, we just tried to learn as much about those cultures where we were living. And we kind of looked at it as an adventure because for the countries where we weren't there very long, for example, Thailand, we were there for two years, China, a little less than two years, Japan before children. We just looked at it as an adventure. Let's explore as many parts of this country as we can before we have to leave. And then with Bahrain, because we ended up being there longer, it was funny. We probably didn't feel as much pressure to explore as much because we were just kind of living, you know? Right. So, so you are very adventurous. And I think that's actually the attitude we would like to pass on to our kids because that's how you open your eyes to so many different things. So from Bahrain, you're talking about your daughter, actually, uh, the youngest one was uh, sent to a bilingual school. So she was able to um, learn uh, Arabic. So now you're back to the States. Is there anything you want to see in the school so our children can be exposed to more world culture or languages? My children are in the public school system. My, my youngest daughter right now is in elementary school. She's in fourth grade. And last year, someone did a world, a world Cultures Day little fair. And it was just lovely. And it was so nice because, you know, we are privileged and blessed to be able to afford to travel overseas and see other countries and, and things like that. But not everybody has done that. And so... To be able to, uh, I don't know about where you live, but where we live, we have a lot of influence um, by Indians. And so to be able to go up to a little, you know, booth and say, tell me about your country, because India is a very large country and there are so many different places that people can come from. And so it's fascinating. So that was a beautiful thing that they did last year. I think they decided that they're going to make this an annual thing. Um, but I would love to see public schools 
that incorporate language training, uh, language acquisition in the, the primary years. Because everybody knows that when children are young is when they learn the easiest and the quickest. And so not learning a foreign language until you are in seventh grade here in, in my school system seems like such a waste of time to me. And so um, there are schools here in Texas that are doing bilingual programs um, kind of as a trial. And the unfortunate thing about it is if you don't get into it when you're in kindergarten or first grade, they don't let you in. So if you miss the vote on that, then you don't get to take language unless your mother and father do it at home with you or with a tutor or wherever, however else they want to do it. You don't get the opportunity to take another language until you're in seventh grade. Because when you're living in Texas, to be able to speak Spanish is amazing. I mean, you've got all of Latin America below you and, and, you, can, and you can speak to so many people who, who have come here in their second, third generation and they still speak Spanish. So it's lovely to be able to speak to people and being able to speak to people in another language opens up your horizons, not just culturally and, you know, in, in a learning way, but it opens up opportunities for you in, in the job market. So I feel like I really wish that our uh, schools would look into doing, you know, at kindergarten and first grade, introducing children to um, a second and third language. You have seen it in your own, your own eyes of when your kids were young and they were able to learn a language um, just because you had that environment for them. So I think we would love to see that for our children in the States also all have the opportunity to be exposed to, to different world, a language at a young age. Um, we're going to come back to uh, talk about your um, Chinese um, experience. So, well, you 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 have left China, you know, for a while now. But is there something in the Chinese culture that you had experienced and that you that really stands out to you, and you have adopted in your family during your time in China or after you left China? Some. Something that has impacted you and you love it and you, you take it with you. You know, this is going to sound really silly, but that, and it's a very Asian thing, not just Chinese, but that concept of taking your shoes off before you walk into your home. I really learned why that was so important when we lived in China. This concept of I'm walking all over the place in these shoes why would I want to bring that into my home? And when you have young children, it totally makes sense because they're crawling around on their hands and knees. <laughs> and we all know that, you know, they get into all sorts of things and they're always putting their fingers in their mouth. So that was something that kind of started for us when we lived in Japan. It was a little hard to get used to it, but then eventually it was just, this is what we're doing, you know? And so we did. And we, we do it a lot here still too. Sometimes we forget, but I really make a point of it like on carpeting and stuff like that, like no shoes because it just, it's cleaner. So I think that's a great idea. Right. Well, I think we see people in Hawaii do the same. And I think it, may, it might be the Asian culture. And I think I personally, we practice at home as well. So it's really interesting you brought it up. It seems like you really enjoyed your time in China, even though uh, at the beginning it was a little bit rough. 
but if you had a chance to go to China tomorrow, what city would you go and why? Oh gosh. Okay. So if it was a city that I've never visited, um, I think I would like to go where the terracotta warriors are. We did not have a chance to do that. That's Xi'an, right? I think. Xi'an. Yes. Yeah. So I always wanted to do that. I think part of that is just my fascination with learning, and you know, as educators, you and I just. We always love to be learning about stuff and, and to understand the history of a country helps you understand who the people are today. And so uh, I would have loved to have gone there. So if I ever got a chance to go back, that would be something I would really want to do. And then how about if, um, how about if there is anyone you would like to visit in China? If you can, you could go back tomorrow, who would you go see? My Ai, she was such a sweet person, and you know she she had a husband who was a so I would get him to come once a week after the baby came, and um, he would cook dishes that were you know things that were meals that maybe I hadn't tried before that were Chinese dishes, and he would make enough so that I could split it with my neighbor. But it was a great way to expose ourselves to some Chinese food that I never would have had time to figure out how to make on my own. He enjoyed doing it and we enjoyed um, trying the new food. So um, I would love to see them both actually, because they were a lovely couple. For your advice, you might have something you really would like to share with um, the new expat parents. since you were in Japan, Thailand, China and Bahrain, what would be something you would like to share with the expect parents who are in the foreign country right now and they are new or whoever are going to move to the fir- a new country the first time? What are some recommendations or advice you have for them so they can be prepared for their new adventure? That's a good question. Um, I would first say it's really important to prepare your children um, for the move. You know, children at different ages obviously have different attachments and different friendships, but it's very important to prepare our children just as it's, you know, important for us to get our passports and our tickets and get things packed. It's just as important emotionally to make sure that our children are, are prepared for the fact that, you know what, we're going to a foreign country. Daddy or mommy, whoever's job it's for, um, is going to be working this many years there. We're going to take it day by day and we're going to make new friends. We are not leaving the people that we have as friends here. We can always come back and visit. We can speak on the phone to them. We can send emails. We are so lucky now in the day and age that you know we don't have to wait for something to come in the mail. Even though we can still send things in the mail too, because that's also a great way to keep in touch with people and your homeland, but that you need to really prepare your children and be honest with them about this isn't going to be, you know, super easy maybe, but there are going to be so many fun things that we can do and we are going to learn and we're going to be here for each other as a family. And, and we're going to, um, we're going to try and enjoy another country while we have this opportunity. The other thing I would say, find a way to meet people so that you can, 
you know, have someone to advise you as like, you know, especially if they have been there for a while or if they came at the same time as you, you can kind of struggle through everything together. You know, oh, where do you buy this? I need these things for my kids and I can't find them. You know, uh, that's a, a great thing to do is to get plugged in. Also, I think one of my biggest um, words of advice would be get to know the local people. You know, you you can know a country by visiting, you know, all the sites and all that. But if you don't know the people, you're really you're really missing out because those people are the ones who can tell you the best about their country. They can teach you things that you're not necessarily going to know by looking at a guidebook. So, you know, if if you have that kind of a personality and you're willing to make friends with locals, even for example in Bahrain, none of those people were Christian that were locals that I knew. But they were so willing to tell you things about their country and tell you things about their political history and for sure teach you about Islam if you were interested in that. But they, they were very, very happy and willing to teach you about who they were as people and, and you know, what their culture was all about. How amazing that is. We find similarities from other people's culture to our own culture and connecting from one side of the world to another side of a world. Yeah. That is just very beautiful. And thank you so much, Kathy, for joining in today and share your beautiful stories with us and your expect experience in China and other countries. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode is sponsored by Let's Learn Mandarin Chinese with Miss Panda audio program, streaming on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and all streaming platforms. Joy multiplies when it is shared. You can rate, review, and share playful Chinese in all podcast platforms. Come and join me next time for more playful Chinese. This is Miss Panda, and I'll see you next time. 我们下次见。<音楽>